0: Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship home service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family, Bible based, non denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Elder Com Doyle. all of the ground is sinking sand all of the ground is sinking sand we'll now go to elder colm who'll be preaching the word amen praise the lord that makes me sound very old nathan bush thank you anyway uh, hopefully you can all hear me clearly this morning so Greetings to one and all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior this morning. And um, it is a privilege to have the opportunity to share the word of the Lord this morning. And um, I just remark on the picture behind that there when he's speaking, which uh, I always like to see the broad road and the narrow road. There's so much in that particular picture to to uh, to make us think about. So I was just looking at that while, while Sab was sharing. Um, what well, is week 11 of this shutdown? And, um, and many many things going on in the world and um you know it's um i think as i said when, when we prayed before the service nothing takes the lord by surprise and uh, nothing's happening that he's not aware of and everything is going according to his plan and his purposes so we rejoice in that this morning now just before i open in prayer um I'll just tell you what the theme of the message this morning is. I've called it the battle that rages within. And the central passage of the message is Galatians 5, 16 to 26. So let's, let's just open in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is precious. And uh, it is uh, something, Lord, that is elevated above your very name as we, as we read in the Psalms last week. and we just thank you, Lord, that you've left your word and you've left your spirit. And the two work together, Lord. We just pray this morning, Lord, that as we hear your word, Lord, that the spirit of God will work on us within. And we be changed and transformed and, and um, made more like you. And we just thank you this morning, Lord, and we commit it into your hands. Well, this week you have a message from uh, another Irishman. Last week we had uh, Pastor Keith Martinson. And it's interesting when I reflect on that because 30 or 40 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to speak, or we wouldn't have spoke perhaps, because we would have been on different sides of a political divide. And I reflect this morning on the, the marvelous work of the gospel that Pastor Keith and Pastor Cecil, who preached the, later on in the evening, um, were all one in the Lord now that the preaching of the gospel and the accepting of the what Jesus has done and the salvation we have unites us all from wherever we come and, you know, be their different origins. So that's, that's a marvelous thing in itself. So I want to just set the context before I actually open the messages this morning. I like to do that when I'm in the particular books, just to give a quick overview. So we're in Galatians, and the context of Galatians is it was written by Paul in about 49 AD. And it's addressed to churches plural. So there's more than one church that he's speaking to in Galatia. Now, Galatia is in the eastern side of modern day Turkey, somewhere near the border of Syria. And in chapter one, he opens a greetings. And it's greetings from, a, he uses a particular descriptions from one not sent by man being Paul. So. We get a sense of the gravity and the importance of the word by the fact that someone is writing this message who was not sent by man. He's on an errand from the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a statement of the problem in the Galatian church or churches plural. And he's amazed that they were turning to another gospel or perverting the gospel. And the words are used in there in the first chapter, deserting Jesus who called him by grace. So this is a fairly serious thing. Now, if an angel or a man brings another gospel, Paul says they are to be accursed. And we see there that Paul did not want to please man, but to please God. So it's a very serious thing to dis- distort or pervert the gospel. Going on to chapter 1 and 2, we get a, further, further into 1 and into 2, we get a bit of a, a grasp of the credentials of Paul's ministry and his defense of the ministry. It says he received the gospel by revelation. That's a gospel not from man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we see further that he waited before he conferred with flesh and blood. And further, we read that he we would stood Peter and others for hypocrisy they were displaying and how they were really relating to the Gentiles. And that the righteousness does not come from keeping the law. Paul says, otherwise Christ died in vain. Now, chapter three and four, is a defense of justification by faith. And he uses it to the Galatians, who he calls foolish. So, where they say by the works of the law or by faith, those trusting in the works of the law are under a curse. So, the intent of the law, Paul states, is that it is the that points us to Christ. And I think I've said in the past that there's nothing wrong with God's law, God's law is perfect. The problem is, is with us. And if we try to to live by it, it'll condemn us. So its correct function is that it points us to Christ. And then chapter five and six, we get the practical application and the explanation and the implications of walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. So salvation and justification is by faith and not by works. And we learn that grace and law, effectively they're incompatible. And that we want to retain the liberty given to us by Christ and not come under the bondage again of our former lives. And I'll just read a verse from chapter 2, verse 16. It says there, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So very, very um, important doctrines coming out there. So in chapter 5 and 6, we're looking at either walking in the power of the Holy Spirit or walking in the flesh. And as I said this morning, particularly look at Galatians 5, 16 to 26. So I'd just like to read that now before we go into it in a little bit deeper. So reading there from the scriptures. It says. This I say then. Walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusted against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary. The one to the other. So that you cannot do the things. That you would. But if you be led by the spirit. You're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these. Adultery. Fornication idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've said, as I've also told you in times past, so this is not the first time Paul's had to go through this, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So, there is a permanent battle in this life between the spirit and the flesh. And I believe that every one of us listening this morning is aware of this ongoing tussle. I certainly am. And I think uh, if we're all honest, we can identify with it. Now, this is a struggle that we're going to have to tend with until the day we see Jesus face to face and our fleshly bodies are no more. Now, I searched for an illustration just to, just to set a little picture illustrations and stories sometimes are good. Here's an illustration. There was a gentleman named John Mason Brown, and uh, apparently he was a critic and a speaker well known for his witty and informative lectures, particularly on theatrical topics. Uh, one of his first important appearances as a lecturer was at the Museum of Art, and uh, he was very pleased, but he was rather nervous on his first occasion. And his nerves were not helped when he noticed by the light of the slide projector that someone was copying his every gesture. Now, after a time, he broke off his lecture and announced with great dignity that if anyone was not enjoying the talk, he was free to leave. Nobody did, but the mimicking continued. There was another 10 minutes before Brown realized that the mimic was his own shadow. So we may laugh at that, but the, the, um, the, the lesson to learn from that is that you know, was, it, was Brown's shadow real? Of course it's real. Does a shadow have the power to control a person's actions? No, it doesn't. It can only mimic us. But in that case, the shadow it did take control momentarily as he lost his uh, train of thought perhaps and where he was going. And why? Because he allowed himself to be distracted or seduced or addicted, however we want to put it. But he completely sp- forgot what he's supposed to be about. That can be used as a picture to show, you know, or it's a good description of the sin nature we carry within us as redeemed or saved people. It can cause havoc, even though it's been made powerless by our identification with Christ. So it's something that's there and something we have to, to deal with. And uh, we, we're not to let it take control. I'll put a question to us this morning. Would you like to the way you did before you came to Christ or the way Christ wants you to live? Of course, the answer to that is obvious, but how many times do we, each of us and myself included, revert to the old man and to those things which wrong cause us afterwards to grieve? So we're contrasting the flesh and the spirit and the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And we can summarize and say the deeds of the flesh is sin, but the fruit of the spirit is holiness. And it's interesting even to reflect on those words, deeds, or if you like, works. And fruit, fruits, different fruits, uh, um, it's a different word, different description, completely very different in contrast to deeds. So if we look at our lives now and are they controlled by the flesh or by the spirit? We could say, do we suffer too often from spiritual schizophrenia, you know, bouncing back and forth between two, two um, different lives? So, the lust of the flesh, what is it? It's a strong desire to to do wrong. And what's more, it's our natural inclination or our natural bent. And we don't have to learn this, it's actually in our being. And I think um, Paul Washer, I listened to some of his sermons in the past, and he used an example talking about a a young child or a toddler and how the tantrums they throw and how they can be pretty loud if they don't get what they want. And what he said was, if that child, had that attitude, but had the strength of an adult, perhaps he could tear you apart. And that perhaps is a picture of of, you know, of this um, natural inclination and badness that resides in us. And that's what we have to control. A relentless spirit, we have a desire to be obedient. Now Romans 7, 14 to 25, we all know it very, very well. I'd like to read it. Paul here gives a very heartfelt account of this ongoing struggle. Uh, And, uh, you know, you you can't but be touched and uh, challenged when you read this. It says there, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That which I do allow not, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good I, I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. But I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, the Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And we could reflect this morning, O oh, wretched man or O oh, wretched woman, that we can be at times. Now, when you consider, this is the same man who encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, who had a direct revelation of a fair proportion of the New Testament, who bravely confronted Peter you uh, go on and on by the many examples, the beatings he went through, the shipwrecks he went through, all the different trials, it puts it into perspective. And it perhaps can give us hope this morning that our struggles are not unique. In Galatians five sixteen it says, summarizing to have victory we must walk in the spirit and not to try to live by the law. So the Holy Spirit resides in us as believers. What we must be open and sensitive to is leading. And when we walk in the spirit, you know, we, we learn that we cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. But I guess the, the, the challenge and the battle we have is to maximize the time we walk in the, in the spirit, to minimize the time we're in the flesh. It would be wonderful if it could be 100% of the time, but the reality is that I think most of us, and I can certainly say myself, we haven't reached that point yet. And, um, you know, God send the day when we do Furthermore, in verse 17, it talks about flesh versus spirit, or spirit versus flesh. So even though the old man is crucified with Christ, his influence lives on through the flesh. It is because of this that we have to crucify the flesh and pick up our cross each day. And we could go back to that little um, account I gave you of the the man giving the presentation. It's something that's in there. It's been dealt with on the cross, but its effect can live on. And there is a power in symbols and shadows, and our brother Morris, in his teaching, refers a lot to shadows. Now, they do do have a meaning, they they can um, bring things up. So, now, just another little um, illustration here. There's another Irish um, evangelist. His name was Edwin Orr, and I listened to a lot of his stuff. He died about, um, like, in the early 1990s, and he was a well-known evangelist, originally from Northern Ireland, where Pastor Keith comes from. We went to live in America and he was an authority on the history of revivals. But um, I took an extract from something I listened once at one of his um, um, sermons. And it concerns an Indian, an Indian from the Hopi tribe. And he was giving his testimony in a meeting crowded with braves and squaws. And this this is a true story. So the big man told his audience that before his conversion, he used to go down to town on Saturday night and get drunk. And then his big black dog used to bite everybody. After Jesus came into his life, he gave him a great white dog, which liked to help everybody. But now the two dogs fought against each other. And the chief sitting on the front seat asked the important question, which dog winning? And said the brave, after careful reflection, whichever dog I feed the most. So the word says that sin shall not have dominion over us, but we certainly have to be careful what we feed. We have a choice to feed the flesh or feed the spirit. Feeding it doesn't have good results. Galatians 5, 18. If we we're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So the best remedy when the flesh rises up is not the law, but the spirit. Now I want to go on a little bit further into the passage and 19 to 21. And it concerned the deeds of the flesh. And According to Paul, they're evident and it can be divided into three groups. There's sexual sin, and it speaks there of adultery or the sexual violation of the marriage vows. Fornication, which is, you know, it could be a lot of things there. It could be filthy speech. It could be, um, sorry, I beg your pardon. Uh, fornication which is just sex between those who are married. Uncleanness, that could have several things. It could be pornography. It could be filthy speech. It could be whatever, just bad. Thoughts, bad jokes. There's a lot of things come under that heading. The word which we don't use much in English now, lasciviousness, and the King James, which is just shameless public lewdness, which is very common nowadays. And then we have another category, category which is religious sin. So he talks there about idolatry, which is effectively spiritual adultery, and witchcraft, which is occult practice, drugs, potions, spells, and other various things which are uh, evil and an offence to God. And Eddie has another category which we could call personal relationships or social sins. It's a long list. He talks about hatred, which is, I guess, an inner motivation to harm another, variants and emulations or jealousies, wanting which is not ours. And I just think of the example we see this week of of people, you know, going out to protest for something they feel um, emotive or emotional about, and others, you know, damaging people's prop or damaging the property of those that are in the community and robbing and stealing and perhaps from jealousy, trying, trying to get things that they haven't worked for or, um, you know, wanting what belongs to others. Or wrath, uncontrolled outbursts of anger, which is equated to witchcraft elsewhere in the scriptures. Strife, seditions and heresies. Heresies are not being quite the same as heresies, we understand as, as perhaps uh, false doctrines, but wrongful divisions between people. And we also must remember that he's actually talking to the church here. He's talking to the Galatians. Envyings, which can be bitterness against those who have things that we don't but we want. Murders, drunkenness, and revilings. And it's a very clear statement It says that if you have these sins without repenting, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, it's a fairly stark warning. Now, I don't want to go into the whole argument of one saved, all be saved, but I take that it's a fairly serious warning that if you, and he's talking here to members of the church, if you persist in those sort of behaviors and are unrepentant, you know, you're, you're not going to hurt the kingdom of God. That's what, the, that's what it says. And it's worth reflecting that we're all capable of these sins, and these sins are the same day as the day they were penned on paper by Paul. So what's the difference between controlled by the spirit or controlled by the flesh? or rephrasing it, what comes out of us when we're controlled by the spirit or by the flesh. You, know, you might be familiar with the, uh, those of us from the from a computer background or technical backgrounds might have heard the words used concerning computers, garbage in, garbage out. And there's also an effect on our personal testimony. You know, looking like an unbeliever before unbelievers themselves, a carnal Christian. It says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? So you think that you are noticed by your lost friends or family, you think that they're not paying attention to the fact that you're a Christian, you're different. Wait till you fall out of line, wait till you stumble or perhaps succumb to one of these uh, deeds of the flesh, which I've just spoken about. They'll take great pleasure in letting you have it between the eyes. So don't ever think that people aren't watching you or panicking or you. Uh, and uh, it's a bad thing for a Christian to be carnal or to give a bad witness in that manner because it's hard to gain that ground back. So um, it affects fellowship, causes division in fellowship. So what we have the results of the deeds of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit. Uh, these are not nice things to, to major on. I certainly don't like talking about the deeds of the flesh because you know they're you know, capable of them. we've all come from, from uh, the lives in the past where we're lost, where we probably delved into a lot of those things. But I'd rather talk about the fruit of the spirit. And our uh, brother Joel mentioned the fruit of the spirit in his time of prayer before the service this morning. So, um, what comes out of us when we're controlled by the, the Holy Spirit? What is fruit? Our sister Ella. a couple of times in the past you used an example, which I I think is very good. Uh, She talks about the the lemon Christian or an orange Christian. And the the, uh, thought there is what comes out of you when you are squeezed, or you're put into pressure, something sweet or something bitter. Now, these fruits of the spirit. They're not the the nine spiritual gifts that we read in 1 Corinthians 12. They being words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse tongues, and interpretation of tongues, scripture says are given as willed by the spirit to the believers. In many aspects, the fruit of the spirit we're looking at their counter of the deeds of the flesh just mentioned. And though the fruit of the spirit are a certain number, they will overcome the deeds of the flesh. It's a bit like love overcoming, love conquering all. And fruit, it's evidenced in the Christian character of a person controlled by the spirit. There's also another sense to be gauged by um, perhaps souls one or fruit in that sense. And we know that in the scripture where it talks about abiding in the vine, and it talks about the, the branches and the fruit, and it says there about the branches that are not bearing, that have been cut back and cut off and uh, cast into the fire. So it's an important thing to be fruitful. Now all Christians are capable of producing fruit and we don't work for fruit but it develops by abiding in the vine i want to have a closer look now at the fruit and uh, i'd like to major on these so you're looking at the scripture now the passage we're in verses 22 and 23 and the old king james it says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. If you read the English Standard Version or some of the other versions, there are nine mentions, being love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And again, we can categorize these as we categorize the, the deeds of the flesh into three groups, love, joy, and peace, concerning our relationship with God. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, they concern our relationship with each other. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they're internal to the believer. Now let's have a quick look at each one of them. Love. Love overcomes everything. Love is of the spirit, and it's, it's the overarching fruit, it's the envelope, or it's the umbrella that covers all of the other fruit. And we know we speak about uh, divine or agape love. We speak about phileo, brotherly love, storge, family, husband love, and eros being romantic love. But there's another love this which goes back to the agape love. It's God's love. And we look at 1 John 9, 4 to 11, we read, in this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might not live Sorry, I beg your pardon, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. So wonderful words there. Now I've come to the conclusion, and it's not an easy conclusion for me, that I must learn and I must continue to love others, no matter what I think of them, no matter what they've done to me, no matter what they've said about, about me, particularly more so in the light of reading a scripture like that. Now it's easy to get caught up uh, in what we believe. That could be the side of politics you're on, or it could be, you know, perhaps to think of those on the opposite of what you believe as opposition or to even develop hatred against them. You know. You know, we might have strong feelings about some of the things that are going on around the world this week. But this is not to be our way, and it's difficult. We're not to hate people, but we stand against the principalities and powers that are behind them. And um, we certainly don't return bad for bad. Uh, We have to win over enemies, as it says in the scriptures, by heaping coals of fire on their heads. So so love. Is the theme there? Not hatred, not aggression, not not hitting back harder, or or any any of that. And it's it's difficult for a Christian, but that's what we're called to do. Joy. In Acts sixteen twenty five we read, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. You'd ask, well, how could that be in a situation like that? And um, you know, as many other cases. Anybody who would have read the, the, uh, the Voice of the Markers, Richard Warmbrand or some of the accounts of those who've gone through horrific trials, spent time in prison, yet they retained the joy of the Lord, just as the, as the disciples and as Paul uh, speak of there. So joy, it's, it's a fruit of the Spirit, and it transcends circumstances, and we see it there. And it's a higher experience than thrills or feelings, So our joy, it's not dependent on our present situation, not on what we have materially or not on our perceived status, but on who we are in Christ. The joy of the Lord, the scripture says, is our strength. Now look around the world now and see the chaos, the turmoil, the fear that's all about us. Isn't now a good time to display the joy of the Lord while the world around us is in that chaos? This joy that will show us there's something different about us as believers. It's something that will attract people. They'll wonder, you know, how how can you be joyous in such circumstances and your a testimony to give? Peace. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit, which is greater than the worldly understanding of peace, which perhaps is defined as the absence of conflict. And firstly, before we have this peace of the Spirit, we have to have peace with God. Romans 5, 1, it says... Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this peace of the Spirit is truly wonderful. And it can be expanded on further as we read the Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. It says there, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus we could say the same thing as we said for joy a moment ago that this godly peace which can reside on the believer can also be an attraction to unbelievers and to those that are in fear and turmoil and rest because it's something that stands out and makes us different long suffering and patience long suffering or patience That's a fruit of the spirit which enables us to retain love, joy, and peace, whilst at the same time bearing up to adversity, reproach, injustice, etc. Now we know the devil never gives up in his war with us, neither should we give up fighting the good fight. And God was certainly patient with us. In Romans 9, 22, we read, what of God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, Endured with much long suffering the vessel of wrath fitted to destruction. Now we could say now perhaps that is why God has withheld judgment even at this present hour, because he's displaying patience to men and giving them a chance to repent. Joseph is a good example of a man who demonstrated long suffering and patience. If you read about his trials, you know, the, the unfair treatment they got at the hands of his brothers the trials and wrongs, the time he spent in prison, how he could have accused Potiphar's wife perhaps and um, defended himself, but he didn't. He's like a type of Jesus. He could even say to his brothers that what they intended for evil, God had turned around to work for good. So he's a good model of long-suffering and patience. Gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Again, the Word of God has much to say about Gentleness. 2 Timothy 2.24, it reads, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And furthermore, in Titus 3 2, we read, To speak evil of no man, to be noble, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Gentleness seen as weakness by many. I think if you listen to any of the um, self help, Seminars and all these things that go around the business world, promoting um, skills for business, self-assertion, self-projection, aggression are all um, valued and esteemed. But gentleness, gentleness is a rare thing to find in a, a selfish and a cruel world. And it is a wonderful thing to see. And the Holy Spirit is gentle. Goodness. Goodness is the fruit of the Spirit. So we're to be virtuous, kind, and generous in our walk before others. And I remember, and I think I might have said this before a couple of years back, when I grew up in my house in Ireland, my dad had uh, two plaques on the wall. And they always stuck in my mind. One of them, and, um, you know, they're not in the scripture, but the thoughts that are in them, you could say, align with scripture. It, says, it said on one of them, to do good and to keep on doing it. And I said on the other, which I think is a challenge for us all, that an answer performance is worth a pound of preaching. But as Christians, we should be doing good. And it's, uh, I guess it's, it's the obvious. Faith. Faith or faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Reliability, dependability, and faithfulness to man and to God. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord enabled me, but that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I might just stop now to another illustration and the last illustration I'll do today. Again, this is a true story. Now, I was always fascinated with the, uh, the account of, um, of uh, Shackleton and his trip to the Antarctic. And uh, anybody who knows the history of the early 20th century, there was a period there, it was, it was a period of the last of the great explorers One of the unconquered continents was the Antarctic. Uh, We would be aware of Scott of the Antarctic, who uh, went to the Antarctic and uh, trekked there, and Amazon, I think he was Norwegian, who actually was the first to, to, to touch the South Pole. And then there's Shackleton. Now, Scott was known as a scientific explorer. Amazon was known as the one who, with the greatest speed and swiftness, reached the pole. But Shackleton, who was an Irishman also, was known for great faithfulness, courage, and sheer commitment. If you, if you actually read the account of, of what he actually did, he sailed, um, there was two ships actually sailed to, and this is the period, I think it was 1914 to 1916, to reach the Antarctic, and the object of the trip was to walk from, um, one ship was going to uh, the Weddell Sea, and the other ship was going to the McMurdo Sound, on opposite sides of the Antarctic. And the object of the expedition was that they were going to trek 1,800 miles across the Antarctic. And unfortunately, the ship which Shackleton was in, which had 28 men on, it, um, it got frozen into the ice in the Weddell Sea. And for almost a year, they had to camp there uh, and uh, wait. But finally, when the ice started to break, the ship got crushed and sank. And they were left stranded on the ice. And for... Um, weeks there, they they tried actually to cross ice to find um, an island, and they couldn't do it because the, the ice broke up. So they made the decision to row. They rowed, I think, about, um, oh, I think, about 500 kilometers from where they were to a place called Elephant Island. Now, you're talking about some of the, the roughest and wildest oceans in the world. And uh, they got there and um, realized that it was a desolate place, with not hope of Rescue. Then the, the six of them decided to row from there to South Georgia, which was an incredible distance. It was um, 720 nautical miles, the not says, and they made it there. And it's one of the great feats of bravery that, and um, endurance that they actually did that. They found then that uh, when they went to that island, they were actually you know, trying to get to the whaling base at their side so they could get supplies and help. Now these other 22 men were left on the island uh, the Elfond island, waiting for for rescue, and when they eventually the the, the six and the on uh, the rowboat actually reached um, South Georgia, they couldn't um, dock where the the supplies were. They had to land on the far side of the island, and they had to go on a, a 36 three a 36 hour hike. Across some of the most dangerous terrain of crevices and glaciers. It says the, in the account they put screws into their boots to grip and they took 50 foot of rope with them. The years later, um, I think in the 1950s, others tried that same um, crossing and re- were amazed and remarked on how, how men could do that. Anyway, the, the story ended, and I don't want it to be too lengthy, that they ended up and they they managed to um, to get a boat back and to rescue those men. on. Elephant Island. So that picture of faithfulness and dedication of a man, I don't know whether Shackleton was a Christian or not. I know he came from a breaker background, but he's renowned for his bravery and for his, his um, faithfulness to his men. And even his men afterwards, after Shackleton died, you know, spoke many spoke afterwards about the dedication of one man team. We took a picture of that and used that as our, as a Christian to be faithful and dedicated to the tasks at hand to one another to our lord it's a, it's a good thing to reflect on meekness let's go on to meekness in general, meekness is the fruit of the spirit that produces the qualities of quietness gentleness righteousness and obedience in matthew 5:5 5, 5, it says blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth It doesn't bless the aggressive blessed are the assertive it says, blessed are the meek, perhaps again seen as weakness by the world, but not in God's eyes. And finally, the, the last fruit is temperance. Temperance or self-control is a spirit that shows forth in the ability to control ourselves and our appetites. Moderation, restraint, and the ability to say no to fleshly lusts. These are evidence of self-control. It goes further to controlling our thought life, our words and our actions. 2 Timothy 1 verse seven says, for God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. Now the King James it says sound mind and the NIV and others is self-discipline. Now again, we could cite Joseph as an example of someone who showed great self-control when he was tempted over a long period by Potiphar's wife. I believe it says in the Proverbs that he who rules his temper is better than a warrior or better than one who takes a city. Now, Paul says in in conclusion, there's no law against these fruit. Or he could express it in a way that by displaying these fruit in your life, you don't need the law because you're already fulfilling it. So to to come to a conclusion, the question you would say, or we would ask, well, what must we do? Now, in creation of all of the above, and knowing that there's a struggle, and it's an apparent struggle, what do we have to do to have victory? And there's an answer given in verse 24 or 25 of the theme passage. Those who are at cross have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Now, Jesus died and rose again to save you from sin, to save me from sin, to save us all from sin. He wants me and you to be free. From our life. He wants to transform our lives. The place for these sinful passions and the deeds we spoke about, and those desires, it's the cross. There's something we have to do by the power of the Spirit, and that is to work out our salvation. That we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So the Spirit resides in the born-again believer, but we must be Let the Spirit do our lives. So a couple of questions for us all this morning. What do we battle with? What is our struggle? What needs to die inside of us? Well, what we need to do is we need to acknowledge it and bring it before the Lord. In 1 John 1, 9 it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Abide in me, and I in you. Uh, We see ourselves in Christ and uh, acknowledge that if he is crucified, then so am I. If he is risen, then so am I. Romans 6.6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man has crucified him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 6.11, it uses a term I like here. I like the word reckon. It says here likewise reckon ye you yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans six thirteen, I think our last scripture for today it says, Neither yield ye you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. I think I said it before, and um, he gave me this uh, image a long time ago, that we should stay clear of anything, well clear, that we know that will beset us. And you could picture it as the edge of a cliff. Not to walk along the edge of the cliff with a a figure drop to the rocks below, but to take 10 steps, about 10 meters in, and to walk clear. So don't put ourselves in situations where we're going to be at risk, Now, ultimately we have the choice to resist internal and external temptation. God, he says, he has made a way out for us. And we should pay attention to the last verse of chapter five. Now, pride is a very dangerous sin, we know that. Let's consider again the deeds of the flesh. Pride is the root of sin, pride could perhaps be described as the overarching or the umbrella over the deeds of the flesh. Now, even though we think we are well with God, let's beware of becoming proud and conceited, or getting into a situation where we think we're 100% right, and that we have it all together. And um, I know I've been wrong, and I know even believers, even the most mature believer, the believer of the longest standing, can be wrong and can become a stumbling block for others. So there's a warning there. We need we need to, to uh, know our limitations. And I'd just like to close by just saying out of chapter five of Galatians, we should have learned that there is a need to examine ourselves. Now we can blame other people, we can blame circumstances, we can blame feelings, but ultimately we are the problem, and we must deal with the problem. We desperately need to yield to the Spirit of God and to walk in the Spirit. And we can't have victory any other way. And um, I might just close on that. And I'd just like to close with the the ironic um, the blessing, because I think it's a wonderful way to close. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee, and give thee peace. And the Lord bless each and every one of us this week, and help us to to walk in the Spirit for the days that are ahead. God bless you, one and all. Amen.